Why does everything in functional programming need to be first class? And what does it even mean to be first class? That's what I'm going to be talking about today. My name is Eric Normand, and these are my thoughts on functional programming. So before I talked about how there are the three domains of functional programming. There's data, calculations, and actions. And I mentioned that one of the minimum requirements to do functional programming is that you can make those three things first class. Uh, and I didn't go into very much about what that means. What does it mean to be first class? Uh, really, it means that you should be able to have, in, in, in one sense, a pointer or a reference to the thing and use it as a value that you can pass to so calculations, that you can store in data, that can, you can return from calculations. Uh, and so this is the, the, the foundation of it. So just like you can pass an integer around or you can pass a string around to functions in your language or to methods, you need to be able to make an action and pass that to a function, pass it, store it in a variable, something like that. Put it in a collection you need to be able to have a handle on that. And that is what allows for functional programming to be, to, to do composition, right? So in, let me back up. In an imperative paradigm, when everything is a sequence of actions to take, list of steps the way you compose is by in the code writing you know do X and then under that you write do Y and then under that you write do Z and so the, it does those three things in order so the main composition the main way of composing is through sequencing those actions okay and so even if you have multiple threads you'll have a step that starts a thread, and that's an action, right? And so then things start happening in parallel, but each thread is sequenced, the sequence of steps. Okay, so the thing is, that's not first class, because those steps are not something that you can have a pointer to. I'm not talking about a pointer to the code, I'm talking about making it an object in memory that you can use somewhere else, right? So uh, a classic example is that in, in Java or JavaScript, or most languages really, the if statement is not first class. It's just some syntax in your language that you um, that gets compiled into some machine code, and that's the end of it. Um, but in a language like Smalltalk, 
the the conditional was actually a method on an object right and the object was the thing you were testing so the like for instance the true the object that represented the value true would if you called if true on it it would call the first block that you passed it that's the then and if you call if true on false it would ignore the then and call the else right so in that way it was a method that you could then refer to somewhere else so you could say that the if the conditional was first class like there was nothing in small talk besides message passing um, okay and so in a in a language in a functional language you need to be able to make stuff first class now usually a language already has first class constructs um, as an example um, in JavaScript functions are sort of the savior of the language in terms of doing functional programming because you can always wrap non-first class stuff up in a function. So in JavaScript, the um, plus operator, addition, is not first class. Multiplication is not first class. There's no way to refer to that plus symbol except in a mathematical expression. You can't pass it to a function. You can't return plus, right? It doesn't do any. It's invalid syntax. But you can take that plus and wrap it up in a function. So you can do function plus and then two arguments a and b and then return a plus b, right? And so now you've recreated the plus as a function then you can now, it does the same thing as the plus operator, uh, except you have to call it like a function, but you can pass that around, and you can return it, and whatever. So it's first class. The same thing happens with actions. So you have um, an action like print, print to the, to the terminal, right? Or send a, an HTTP get request. Uh, those actions could be wrapped in a function. So the function has zero arguments, and uh, when you invoke that function, it will send off the get request, right? And so you don't have to invoke it, and you can choose when to invoke it. Um, it's just kind of bundled up in this function, ready to go. Now, we've talked before about the problems in languages like JavaScript and Clojure where the language doesn't help you so much in determining what is an action and what is a calculation. So you have functions representing both your, um, your actions and your calculations. And so those can get confusing. But the same rules apply, the conceptual rules, that two actions 
when you compose them make a new action but an action and a and two um, sorry a calculation and a calculation make a calculation but an action and a calculation make an action so um, we talked about this before that actions kind of infect the other stuff and calculations infect the data as well um, so why do we need to make stuff first class? Uh, the real reason is you need in, to do to do real functional programming. Okay, in in the in the sense of in the sense of getting past the the, the trappings of of immutable data and data transformation and stuff like that. That's that's very important but you don't get to the next level um, unless you have higher order functions. And higher order functions simply means uh, functions that are operating on other functions. And I'll also include, just speaking loosely, I'll also include functions that operate, so calculations that operate on calculations and actions. Okay, so what does this mean? Um, it means that you can, in, instead of an imperative where you have the only the, the way you compose uh, actions is just through sequencing it in the code. You can actually have two actions and pass them to a function that makes a new action that sequences them. Okay, you ha you have to, everything has to be first class to do this. If you don't have a way of passing the actions to a function, then you don't have a, and a way of returning a new action. There's no way to do this. And this lets you do interesting higher order stuff. Um, you don't have to write every function out. Or, you know, like in JavaScript, well, uh, JavaScript is a bad example because you can always wrap an, a an action up in a function. In a language like uh, C, um, or basic is maybe even a better example, when you're, when you're um, creating these actions, there's no way to pass an action to... A, a function and have it return a new thing that's, that sequences the two actions, right? You have to write out every sequence that you want. Now you can do it hierarchically, right? You can have subroutines and stuff like that. But still, you're writing it all out. Whereas in a functional language where you have higher order uh, operations, those things can be done dynamically. Um, they can be done... You can have sequences of actions that were never written in code. You have code that generates those sequences. Okay, what's an example? Um, you could have a program generate every possible action. Yeah, I'm going to use my hands. Yeah, every possible action. So let's say this is a million different possible actions. Filter them for the ones that are valid, 
Okay, so now whoa, whoa, there's only 10, and then run those in sequence. How does it determine if it's valid? Well, it's, it's got information about the environment that it's in now, right? And so you're dynamically generating this list of 10 actions that are valid, and then you can run them in sequence, right? You, have, you can't do that unless it's first class. Those are some of the things that we do in functional programming all the time. Um, I should mention monads. Um, monads in, in um, Haskell and other, other, I mean, a lot of languages use monads. Scala uses monads. Um, they are a way of composing actions. Uh, that's not the only thing monads do, but in the IO type, which is the action type in Haskell, um, that is how things get sequenced. Uh, they are a special type that is recognized by the runtime as these are actions, right? So the you could think of it as there's one part of the language that just sees this as another data type um, that happens to implement monad. And so when you use what's called the do notation, which is a way of writing out monadic code, uh, this is shorthand, like a syntactic sugar for writing out monad operations. Um, Wow, this is getting deep into Haskell, and I don't know if I wanted to get this deep into monads right now. Uh, but monads are a way of composing um, values together, and uh, Haskell uses I/O, which has a monad instance, which has a way it, you can use it like a monad, and um, so you're actually composing actions together that way in Haskell. And this is the, like there is no, there is no, there's no, uh, okay, so in Clojure, in JavaScript, even if you're writing in a functional style, inside of a Clojure function or a JavaScript function, you can always list steps. Very often we just have one expression in there, but you could list steps and they would happen in sequence. In Haskell, there is no way to do that. There's no way to list steps. What you do is you use, excuse me, there's a bug. You use monadic composition to sequence steps. That's all, that's all I wanted to say. That Haskell has this notion of first class actions. Um, the, and, and a way to compose them up. And, and monads, monads is one of the ways composing them up. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about first class values. It's very important to have first class values. You want to be able to 
get to a higher order that's where a lot of the benefit of functional programming comes from is that you are writing you're writing code that composes sequences of actions or you know another I didn't mention this but um, higher order functions can also take functions so you can have a calculation that takes calculations common example map another one filter another one reduce these are your three like workhorses of you know functional sequence transformation and they all take functions uh, as as their arguments and um, they let you they let you reason at a higher level write code that um, separates concerns out very well you're separating out the the sort of iteration through the loop through uh, iteration through a a list uh, and what you do to each element of the list um, how you know how you build up your list so um, you're passing in to map the function that says what to do to each item or you're passing in to filter the function that says which items to keep and so the filter logic can be done once written one time and used in many many cases um, same for map this idea of building a new list based on an old list with all the all the elements transformed that can be written once and reused many times and this um, allows us to have code that is reusing stuff that in a language without that first class you would be writing inline every single time like a for loop or something right like oh how many times have you written a for loop that takes one list and changes the elements of the list in the same way as you know for each element in the list it's such common code and there's almost no way to get rid of that unless you bring it up to a higher level where you can pass in that body of the loop as a function right as a calculation um, all right so that's the other part of um, being first class is getting to higher order functions not just ability to dynamically sequence um, uh, actions but also to um, to have higher order functions and there's plenty to talk about about higher order functions which I'll get to in another episode so if you want to hear about that please do subscribe uh, like it star it heart it thumbs up it plus one it do what it says favorite uh, what else is there I don't know high five does anyone use a high five do that one too anyway uh, this has been a pleasure my name is Eric Normand these have been my thoughts on functional programming see you later